Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. What is going on, Belly Up Sports fam? Mr. Shaka Cummings, Mr. Parker Ainsworth, welcome to FN Sports, the podcast with two teachers' great sports' biggest issues. Mr. Ainsworth, how are you doing this fine Sunday afternoon, sir? I'm doing pretty well on this Sunday afternoon. Obviously, recording on a Sunday. I'm doing pretty well today. A little rainy here in Dallas. But, Mr. Cummings, it's a it's a birthday day for you over there in Kentucky. How are you doing on this Sunday afternoon, birthday boy? It is a birthday day. So, uh, I turned 40 today. And what fans who listen don't know is that I just made a mistake where we had to re-record the beginning of this podcast. So, it just means I'm getting <laughs> older. My memory's starting to slip. But otherwise, you know, I'm doing pretty well. I just got off vacation, so I'm actually doing really well. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, let's go ahead and hit folks with our gold stars and detentions. You got a gold star for us this week? Yeah, my gold star is somewhat preemptive, but my gold star is to any NBA player who actually does something with this new naming policy. So for those that <laughs> don't understand what I'm talking about, late Saturday night, a tweet went out and the NBA is going to allow players to use the name on the back, like the nameplate on the back of their jerseys in this restart to help promote social causes. I think there are all kinds of fun, expletive, and not great podcast things to say that John Morant <laughs> could do, because John Morant is number 12, and you could do lots of fun things right above the number 12. But I, I think the truth is that uh, it's a good opportunity for guys to get their names out there. I also want to plug, it looks like on Twitter, while no one's verifying the WNBA had told anybody this, the WNBA actually, the WNBA actually had this idea first. 
tends to be the way things go. The WNBA usually, usually is at the front of these things. But gold started any player that actually takes this up and does something clever with it. There's lots of way to, ways to go about it, but you know, gold started anyone that takes the offer. It is no surprise that there's a woman behind this great idea. Once again, right. who runs the world? <laughs> Girls. All right. Um, my gold star goes to Dustin the Diamond Poirier. He had a fight yesterday on UFC. It was trending all over Twitter. He fought a guy by the name of Dan the Hangman Hooker, a guy who's from Australia, and the fight was incredible. So, like, even if you don't know the UFC or MMA, you could watch this and you could just enjoy it because it's two guys punching each other in the face for, like, a half an hour. It was incredible. Um, <laughs> and uh, Dustin Poirier fought for the title. He uh, lost. He ended up being injured. And he had to do this hip surgery. He was out for nine months. And this was his first fight back. And he fought a guy in the top ten. And he was actually getting pounded the first couple of rounds. But he ended up winning the last three. So shout out to Dustin Poirier. Fight of the year. Way to come back. He's a dude that has a lot of heart anyway. So he's someone that I really like watching. Um, I just really enjoy watching his fights. What about detentions, Mr. Ainsworth? You got any detentions for us? So my... Again, potentially hypothetical, but my detention I'm giving out this week is actually coming from the exact same tweet to the NBA for what I'm really, really hoping is not. But if it is, it is certainly at least detention worthy. A giant bait and switch. We've heard for a while now that the NBA was going to like promote these social causes and give guys a platform. If the extent of that platform is as simple as letting them pick new nameplates and getting new jerseys, Guess what? The XFL did that 20 years ago. That's not good enough. That's not cool enough. We need more out of you. So I'm hoping I can rescind this detention later once they do some things. But for now, I'm not getting bait and switched. I'm handing out the detention to the NBA. So you are not buying the He Hate Me jersey until the NFL actually proves you're going to do a little bit more. Got it. Awesome. My detention for the week goes to the University of California at Los Angeles. You may know them as UCLA. They signed in, I believe, 2016, the largest apparel deal in the history of the world, $280 million from Under Armour. And now it's come out recently that Under Armour is trying to rescind that deal because apparently UCLA hasn't been doing all the things that they promised to do in terms of marketing. So you just signed this incredible incredibly lucrative deal and now you're gonna lose it because you haven't been doing all the things you're supposed to do and ucla is like in the midst of getting a new athletic director so ucla is like hey we're gonna fight this and under armor is like yeah okay whatever we're not we have the goods so we're just not gonna give them to you so it's like the fact that you couldn't manage this 280 million dollar deal man it feels like <laughs> it feels like somebody dropped the ball um and ucla doesn't win so this is just another loss for ucla uh, i feel bad for them we have a great podcast. We're going to be talking about the convergence of civil rights and sports over the last few weeks. We're going to talk about COVID and the privacy that athletes need or maybe don't deserve in terms of COVID and coronavirus diagnoses. And then we're going to take to the Twitter trend of looking at players who are overrated, underrated, or properly rated. So without further ado, Mr. Ainsworth, are you ready to go, sir? Ready when you are, Shaka. Okay, Mr. Ainsworth, our first thesis statement for the week dives in headfirst with some of the issues that are going on in our country around athletes and civil rights. The thesis statement, Bubba Wallace is the story 
at the convergence of civil rights and sports that will have the most lasting impact. I read that thesis statement to you, Mr. Ainsworth. What do you say? I want to give it like an A minus. Um, I'm not quite to an A plus, but I'm gonna. I'm thinking like an A minus. What do you think, Mr. Cummings? That's interesting. You're much higher on it than I am. I think I'm gonna go with like a C plus. So I'm gonna keep eligibility, but um, <laughs> I think there might be some other stories that might have a more long lasting impact. Okay, so Mr. Ainsworth, myself, we are both history teachers. And so obviously when you're living through the type of history that we're living through, it was very intriguing for us to take on this particular thesis statement. Bubba Wallace is the story at the convergence of the civil rights movement that's going on currently and sports that will have the most lasting impact. And so for folks who are unfamiliar with the Bubba Wallace story, Bubba Wallace is a NASCAR driver. His mother is black, his father is white. He's the only driver in NASCAR that has African-American descendancy at all. So he's NASCAR's black driver. He reported before the race last week in Talladega Speedway that there was something going on in his garage. Actually, it was a member of his crew that reported. Bubba Wallace actually didn't see the uh, incident. So a member of his crew went to NASCAR. The president of NASCAR talks to Bubba and says, hey, we got this issue. And they believe that there's a noose hanging in the garage stall at Talladega Speedway where his car is located. So news gets out. Bubba talks about, you know, whoever did this, this is a hate crime and this is not going to kill my enthusiasm for the sport, it's not going to take away my smile. The NASCAR drivers all rally around Bubba Wallace, and you hear all of this chatter through social media, all of this support, and it was incredible. For those of you guys who are unaware, Bubba Wallace, just a few weeks back, I believe that we talked about it on this podcast, painted his car with Black Lives Matter on the rear fender. He was at the forefront of NASCAR banning Confederate flags inside of the racetracks as they're racing. So Bubba Wallace is on the front lines here. The FBI conducts an investigation and they find that Noose was actually a garage pull, so to pull down the garage door. And it was fashioned as a noose, but it was done months back. So the belief is, is that this isn't a hate crime that was targeted at Bubba Wallace based on all the information that's available. Now, the president of NASCAR, whose name is Steve Phelps, he has investigated 1,684 different NASCAR garage stalls at tracks across the country. Only 11 of these stalls apparently had any sort of knot that was used as a garage pole, and this particular stall was the only one that had a noose. So the information is now out there, and there are folks that are saying, hey, was this some sort of a hoax? What's going on here? It is clear based on the images that are on the internet that it was definitively a noose that this is definitively odd. NASCAR was not expecting something like this to occur. And the stall that Bubba Wallace was in was not the stall that he would have normally been in had we not been dealing with the pandemic and coronavirus. So he was assigned this stall due to global pandemic. And so there just seems to be a lot of questions to ask, but when you think about the ability for athletes to rally and for NASCAR drivers to rally, it's worth asking the question about the lasting impact of this particular event. 
Yeah, and I don't mean to act like either one of us are going to be the most knowledgeable people talking about this in sports radio in the last week. You've heard probably everyone you listen to talking sports talk something about Bubba Wallace in the last week. But one one aspect that I heard people mentioning throughout the week is interesting to me is that NASCAR tried to say with the Confederate flag movement and the support of Bubba Wallace and so on, we're moving away from racism. And racists tend to take that as a, oh, no, you're not, and tend to like grab onto them, like, no, 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 you're not running away. There were all the Confederate flags outside of the racetrack last Monday. And so I think that that battle we're about to see is, I think, has Bubba Wallace at the, at the middle of it. And I also think that that is what will be the lasting impact of this, is we're about to see a sport compete against the racist portion of its fans that it has openly embraced for a long time. And for a long time, I, I actually mean like historically long time, not like just since, you know, the last 15 years. Stock car racing dates back to prohibition in the 20s, uh, the 20s and 30s, and you had people racing cars and bootlegging, and that took on a whole different vibe in the South and continued in the South after prohibition gets repealed um, because people were still racing around with moonshine, but that's not a hero there. What that is to say that NASCAR is inherently Southern and tied to a racially insensitive past. And so I think that that is, that it's finally coming to grips with that is historic and interesting. Um, I also think that Bubba as the star black driver, he didn't win the race on Monday. He came in 14th, uh, his best finish yet, but he, coming to stardom is is important because uh, we tend to think of, you know, Jackie Robinson integrating baseball. And I don't know if you could sit here and rattle off every shock of your history teacher. Maybe you can rattle off like the Chuck Coopers and those kind of guys that integrate other sports as well. But Bubba Wallace integrating NASCAR in a weird way, if even if he's not, if it's been legally okay for a while, is important as well because of, again, NASCAR and what it's been. And then I guess I, I really settle on this that, because I think one of the other reasons I give an A minus, not an A plus, uh, A, my A, not an A plus, is because something else could happen in the next six months in this kind of year of history. Like this will be, this year will be in history books. And so something else could happen in the next six months in a different sport that is very likely to happen at the NBA free start or when the NFL season starts and everyone's kneeling or whatever. And maybe that's a whole different deal. But there's a real chance that this is a NASCAR going for what is right morally even though it could really, really hurt them financially. And they're not doing great financially. NASCAR's viewership is down more than 50% over the course of the last 15 years. Uh, its races continue to get let lower and lower ratings year to year. The big name racers, like the Petties are kind of graduating out of it. We talked about families last week on the pod, but like, you know, the Earnhardts are kind of phasing their way out of it. And the, the names, and you know, are going away. Racist Sorelli, we talked about the, I gave him a detention, whatever day that, whatever week that was. Was it you and me <laughs> gave him a detention? No one knew who he was. Like, like these are not big, it's not a big name sport anymore. And so if they're going to lose, also lose these longtime viewers, the part of the history here could be, this could sink NASCAR. NASCAR are doing the right thing. I don't mean to say that they shouldn't be doing it. But there's a real chance it doesn't come back unless Bubba Wallace and his actions gains fans and gains new viewership. And then that would also be a turning of the tide in NASCAR, right? And so I think those are all elements of me of it that make me think this really could be something to look back on. You know, we are not NASCAR aficionados. So I 
I want to take that into account even in my grade. Like, I know that Bubba Wallace is not the first black NASCAR driver. Like, I know that there have been black guys who have driven at that level prior to him. And I know that while NASCAR, you talked about kind of the ratings uh, fluctuation over the last decade, decade plus, I also know that NASCAR has some significant deals in terms of marketing. They're on television every weekend, right? So there's, there's obviously a significant portion of people in this country who love NASCAR. And even with all that being said, I look at some of the things that have already happened. And I think, okay, I think that this definitively is going to have a longer lasting impact. And then there's something else I want to get to down the road that I think could potentially be a real game changer. But if we think about, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I gave the SEC a gold star for challenging Mississippi and saying, hey, Mississippi schools, you got to do something with your state flag. And then last week, Kylan Hill, the leading returning rusher in the SEC, says, I'm not running if that's the flag. Like, I'm not representing Mississippi if we don't change the flag. So now you have the SEC, you have Kylan Hill. All of a sudden, yesterday, the state legislature in the state of Mississippi has voted to change the flag. They voted to remove the Confederate symbol from it. So I look at something like that, and... That, to me, is directly impacted by this current civil rights movement that we're seeing. Because in 2015, the Washington Post posted a story about Ole Miss saying that they're not going to fly that state flag on campus. I know that Ole Miss and Mississippi State have lobbied to try to get the flag changed before, but it didn't happen until now. And so obviously, when the state flag is changed, that's going to have a long-lasting impact. And so that's the piece that I point to right away that's very tangible and so that's a part of why i go c plus i also think about you know the impact that kaepernick had with his knee so while kaepernick would be maybe removed from this particular civil rights movement we see in the nwsl just yesterday (laughs) how many players took a knee during the national anthem um we see uh european soccer players who are scoring goals and celebrating by taking a knee so there's some of those things that i think I think of those as these uh, these protests and these these movements that are potentially leading to some semblance of change. And then I'm seeing a tangible change with the Mississippi state flag. Uh, so I just don't know. I, I'm not sure. Bubba Wallace, there's definitely change in terms of removing the Confederate flag from those racetracks. Uh, but I think that the Mississippi state flag change is uh, more impressive to me. I, I hear you there. And I, I guess that, you know, legislation about changing a flag and stuff is is fair i guess i don't see that as like changing mississippi's flag it 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 strikes me as very much like changing something on the exterior but what are you changing on the interior right uh and not to say that nascar is changing the interior of it of its history or or whatever because you can't change its history but that they're potentially about to lose fans and kind of rely on the idea of getting new fans that are okay with new ideas and new attitudes is, is just different to me. I guess NASCAR is also, to be fair, not as grandiose as the state of Mississippi as far as like, you know, Ole Miss and SEC football and Mississippi State. That That's a real big culture. Uh, I, I would almost argue that NASCAR has a lot of, like in the Venn diagram, there's a lot of overlap there. But um, <laughs> I guess I, I see it as ditching the fans i don't know that like the Ole miss rebels are exactly ditching their fan base because a different flag is flying over the stadium you know what i mean 
Yeah, but I also don't know that NASCAR is losing some significant portion of fans. Like, there's an assumption that's made there that there's a portion, that there's a significant enough portion of fans that would leave NASCAR because of the last couple of weeks and leave their fandom for it. And I don't know that I'm willing to jump there either. We're both fairly ignorant to the NASCAR fan bases and to the sport. Like, I, I've raced cars, but I'm not, I've never done anything close to this level. So we're coming at it as, with that true outsider perspective, looking in and saying, hey, this is how we perceive things to be. And I am curious as to what's going to happen going forward. I definitely think that this this is a significant portion of people that – we're NASCAR fans. They're probably like, thank God we're getting those Confederate flags out of here. Thank God we got this black they're, driver who's willing to say black lives matter. There's probably that portion of the fan base as well. There certainly are. But there's also fans that stand on the outside of the stadium with Confederate flags and that fly a plane over saying defund NASCAR with a Confederate flag behind it. And those fans are seeming to be more and more push the boundary of what, what NASCAR wants. And there were also fans in the stadium a group of black fan fans wearing Black Lives Matter t-shirts and things like that and reaching out to touch Bubba's hands. And, and I, I think that that was a shift. And I think that shift, I guess, is what I'm really focused on. And maybe it's fair to call me hyper-focused on it. But that was not... If you'd have told me at the start of 2020 all of the crazy stuff that's happened in 2020, um, and this is race relations, this is COVID, this is sports, this is all of it. I would have, the thing that would have surprised me the most, I think, would be not athletes taking knees, not at, you know college athletes using their voice, uh, you know, not like the thing that surprised me the most, I think, would be the idea that NASCAR is going to support these movements. That's just not something I would have ever seen coming. So, if I think about a statement that you made a couple of minutes back about why you gave this an A minus. One of the reasons why you said you gave this uh, thesis statement an A minus is because you wanted to leave room for the possibility of something else happening over the next few months that could have an even greater impact than Bubba Wallace. And that's one of the reasons why I give it a C plus as well. And this is something that we've actually talked about on the podcast before. Now, there's a new kind of twist that's coming along with this, this movement of athlete empowerment in college sports, Liberty, Liberty University, two football players, Tavion Land and Trey Clark, both announced that they're transferring from Liberty because they believe that the university is racially insensitive and they're going to find a place that speaks more to them as African-American men and to their beliefs as African-American men. And so I look at Clemson, Oklahoma State, Iowa, these transfers at Liberty. I look at the Twitter feed of Mikey Williams, and I'm wondering, number one, what is the impact going to be in terms of recruiting from this current civil rights movement? How is it going to impact different schools? Number two, and this is the big one, how is this current civil rights movement going to impact historically black colleges and universities in terms of the level of athletes that will go to those schools because they believe that HBCUs are culturally more in line with what they believe? And I go back to this article that Jamel Hill wrote for The Atlantic back in 2019. This is what she was talking about. She was talking about the amount of money that's funneled through the NCAA the amount of money that goes to Power 5 schools when you consider what their racial makeup is versus what their athletic racial makeup is. She was talking about the 
uh, amount of money that goes through the athletic departments at Power Five schools versus HBCUs, the the endowments at a place like Harvard versus uh, HBCUs across the country. I believe that the statistic was that Harvard had a larger endowment than like the top ten or fifteen HBCUs combined. So you start thinking about the economic impact, and man, this thing could really go crazy and really turn college athletics on its head. Okay, Parker, so the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we, we seem to have an affinity for our beards between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So uh, check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make bombs, they even have this heated comb thing to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts it's nice and long these days i'll <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated and if you're listening to our show you can use fn sports 15 and get 15 percent off your oils your bombs your uh, shampoos conditioners whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy absolutely check out the beard struggle at thebeardstruggle.com whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already. The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. Okay, Mr. Cummings. Our second thesis statement this week reads, Professional athletes should not have their COVID-19 diagnoses shared publicly by their team or the media. How do you grade that thesis? I and waffling all over the place with this particular thesis. And I guess if I'm waffling, I probably should go see, but do not be surprised if like, as we're having this conversation, I change my grade. So I'm gonna start <laughs> with a C. <laughs> what about you, well, Mr. Antor? I'm, I'm pretty firmly at a like C plus, and I said pretty firmly and then had to like firmly take a second to be sure. Yeah. <laughs> Firmly in the middle because I just I see pros and cons to it and I can't decide which one I lean on and I we tend to go that way a lot but that's the way I'm feeling right now. All right, so Mr. Cummings, you gave this a waffled C. Uh, I don't think of waffles as more of a O shape, but you know, a waffled C. Um, for background, for people that are wondering why we're talking about this, the NFL has started coronavirus testing. It's players in anticipation of a season starting up even though they did delay uh the hall of fame game dallas cowboy uh, running back ezekiel elliott uh was one of the players that came back as a positive test for those that don't know uh hipaa laws would generally be some form of patient doctor confidentiality on what exactly (laughs) goes on Um, but the players were named by the nfl ezekiel elliott tweeted out hipaa H-I-P-A-A, the acronym, in all caps with a couple of question marks. That was his thoughts on it initially. And it certainly does raise this question of privacy, right? Because we're used to, with professional sports, especially getting an injury report and in football and in fantasy and in things like that, we, generally speaking, have a pretty good idea of the health of professional athletes to a certain degree all the time. But 
this is a much more sensitive private issue. Coronavirus has affected, you know, millions of people globally, and it, it really is looking more and more like it's a when you get it, not an if you get it kind of thing for many people, especially people who are going to force into bubbles and play sports. Um, so <laughs> it, it begs the question, do we need to know that they te- who and when certain players uh, are that test positive and when they test positive? One of the things that gives me pause and makes me want to fail this thesis is we share injury information in athletics. Like that's one of the deals. So Michael Jordan's flu game. Okay, we assume that he had the flu. It might have been food poisoning from a pizza joint in Utah, but whatever. Like, people knew he was sick, right? And if you tweak a hamstring, if you have bad knees, you got a back, a toe, we know that stuff. And if you have an illness, you, you got the flu, you're sick, we, we share that stuff. That's the athletes, teams share that information. Media gets that information, reports that information to the public. So if that is the paradigm, coronavirus is an illness, the NFL's testing, the NFL would share that information the way that they would share information about injuries. And if you think about kind of the last couple of years, especially the whole movement around concussions and CTE, that's a very serious injury in terms of a concussion. We still share that information. And if you think about players who go through physicals, whether it's for a trade or for the draft, someone who we would know pretty well in terms of being coaches in Texas, Isaiah Austin. Isaiah Austin's a kid who went to high school in Arlington. He played at Baylor. He enters the NBA draft. They find that he has a heart ailment. He can't play. Well, they share that information with all of us. So like, there's some very sensitive, serious information that ends up being shared. And why is coronavirus different than any of that other information? I also waffled some, Shaka, so I don't mean to make it sound like you were the only one waffling on the thesis. The thesis <laughs> talks about if professional athletes should not have their COVID-19 diagnoses shared, so in accordance with HIPAA. But I worry, my worry comes from twofold. Uh, one, if a player just mysteriously is missing games with illness or sickness or not feeling well or whatever or rest or whatever they want to put down even a hamstring frankly are we going to assume it's COVID anyway like if Giannis is randomly missing game two of the first round it could be because they played a lot of basketball in the last 10 days and he needs a break because of the way they're doing the system or it could be that he has coronavirus I think that most people are going to jump to coronavirus unless it's explicitly said that these guys have coronavirus and these guys don't and even then they might, so who knows? But the, I, I think that's one of my things is that if they don't give us that information, people are going to negatively assume that's what everything is until proven otherwise. The other thing I think that the sports leagues can do here is, for whatever reason in this country, there's still a lot of people that are not taking this seriously. And I don't know if it has to do with where you live or what you think about disease in general or what you think about viruses in general or if you just are somehow in such a bubble that you don't know people that have been affected by this yet, and, and in which case I envy you a lot. I, I sit here and wonder, like, if the sports leagues can show, oh, crap, your favorite hockey player, your favorite basketball player, your favorite baseball player got it, I think that could, is a chance to make it more real to more people. 
we identify with these athletes in a way like they're our friends and we know them and da, da, and we don't, right? Um, I wrote a piece one time about Cedric Vincent and how I got really sad when Cedric Vincent passed away in a motorcycle accident. He was a very man running back that still happened to go pro from Texas. I just, it like, I remembered rooting for him and I, I was really beat up, you know, like it was like we were close and there was, he didn't know who I am. He didn't know who I am, you know, that we aren't close. Um, there's that kind of a connection with athletes, right? And I think that if we know they're also getting sick, like we think of these people as superheroes. You and I have talked about how Cam Newton is built like a Greek god before. Adonis. Like if, right. If an actual Greek god in Giannis gets it, I think that makes it real. Like the, these guys, these guys can really get it. I think so. I think that's a big miss that they're getting. But I also there's there's also reasons to not share it though, right, Shaka? There are definitely reasons to not share. It, but before we get to those, there's something else that we haven't talked about, and I think that it is relevant, which is. <laughs> Right now, I fully recognize that there's no gambling going on. But during the season, one of the reasons, like, the leagues will never say this, or maybe they will now, because I think that some of the leagues do have some, like, legitimate gambling partnerships. But the reason why you share injuries is because of the gambling aspect. And so if we're sharing these other injuries, like, it, it, I think that it's worth noting if a player has coronavirus is going to be quarantined for 14 days. Like, from a gambling aspect, I know that guy's going to be out for two weeks. And I do think that that's something else that the league has to consider as well. If they're going to have partners in Vegas and partners with these daily fantasy sites, I mean, it's all of that has to go into the pot. I think it's a tough deal. I understand what Zeke is going through. I understand him mentioning HIPAA, even though HIPAA doesn't have anything to do with this because HIPAA is between the insurance <laughs> company and doctors and like HIPAA's this isn't HIPAA. Here's where I want to give this thing an A, right? So, I am a cynic by nature, and I start thinking, if organizations know which athletes have had corona, is that going to impact the way they negotiate contracts down the road? Exactly. Because we don't know exactly what corona can do, but we know that it could do some damage to the lungs, and they don't they already don't want to play pay running backs. Like I'm imagining what they're going to say about Zeke now. And I mean, this right. is across sports as well, because we have players who have been diagnosed in terms of basketball. Um, baseball, hockey, that piece to me is something definitely worth uh, considering. Like if I'm Zeke, I don't want this information out there because they already don't want to pay me. And it, it seems to be like on day-to-day -day news cycles, you know, those change every few hours. And so every few hours, it seems like something new comes up about the potential long-term or not long-term or whatever effects of this virus. There's even stuff saying like asymptomatic carriers can potentially have some lung damage. Which, like, not lung damage like you need to be on a ventilator the rest of your life, but, like, lung damage like they just aren't going to perform at the way they would if you had never had the virus. Which is a really big deal when your body is how you make money and you need to breathe well the whole time. Like, I think I think that the, the future contract element of this, when if you're a young player, like if you're a Luka Doncic, right? Like, young, healthy, you know, they did a whole deal about how last summer he got jacked or whatever, right? Like, he's in shape. He's in good shape. But that second contract, you've had coronavirus... You're telling me that a savvy business person is not going to come in and say, whoa, 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 I can't pay you all that money because I don't know how you're going to perform at the end of this contract, right? Like, they're definitely, they hold everything against these guys. There's no reason they Absolutely. wouldn't hold that against these guys. Um, something else that I've been thinking about here is why is it that, <laughs> why is it that it's easier for me to get the information about which players have tested positive than the actual information for what Lee's going to do when they put all these guys in a bubble? Like, <laughs> I think that it's like, if I'm Zeke, it's like, y'all were real quick to share my Corona diagnosis. 
and y'all not real quick to share details about how we're actually going to play football, and you just canceled right. the Hall of Fame game. That feels like a double standard in some way, shape, or form. Like Rudy Gobert, I think that's a fair question for him to ask. Now, I'm not saying that Rudy Gobert is a hero. Like, no, Rudy Gobert, Rudy Gobert is the villain in this whole scenario. And he still, as the villain, has the right to ask this question. Like, hey, NBA, why aren't you sharing more details about what we're going to do in terms of corona testing when we get to this bubble? Because y'all were real quick to let everybody know that I was patient zero, right? And y'all was real <laughs> quick to let everybody know that I had it first, and then Donovan Mitchell got it after me, so I must have given it to him. And it's like, I think that that's a fair, I think that's a fair question to ask. Why are the leagues real, real quick in sharing this information and not as quick to share those details? Right, we're getting hypotheticals about like full face shields inside of helmets, or about <laughs> spacing baseball players out in the stands as opposed to in the dugouts. Or San Francisco put out. What they're going to do, you can buy a cardboard cutout of yourself to put in the stands because there's not going to be anybody in the stands. They're going to have the like, you're biggest gonna have... waste of money. Just and... donate that money to a food bank. If you can buy right. a cardboard cutout of yourself, donate the money to a food bank. Please. Yeah, the ACLU is using all the money they can. Uh, the, <laughs> no, I, I really I think that it's funny that there's all of those kinds of logistics that have nothing to do with actually playing the games or coming out, but the logistics behind playing the games are not. And when you ask about it, you get easy collateral tested positive, or you get... 16 out of 300 NBA players tested positive or whatever, right? Like, it, those are those are ludicrous. That's not the important part. <laughs> and I understand that there's a lot of money involved. This is all part of my skepticism because <laughs> it's all this money that's involved. And so you want to make sure that these things happen, right? Another question that I want to ask is, you're Ezekiel Elliott. Now you've had your diagnosis shared. Imagine that we are down the road three months and we're actually trying to play some football games. Are you going to share if league professionals that are not players have been diagnosed? And the reason why I ask that question is because players come in contact with some of those league professionals. So, for instance, imagine a, a referee, a white hat, is diagnosed with coronavirus. You know what the white hat does at the beginning of every game? He does that coin toss. You know what everyone does at the beginning of the game? They gather around him for the coin toss. I want to know if I'm a captain if that dude had coronavirus because now all of a sudden I was really close to him. Now, my hope is that the NFL will be very forward thinking and actually come up with a different method for managing things like the coin toss because it seems like a really easy fix. That being said, I haven't heard any details on it, so I don't know what they're doing. So now I'm worried about the ref who might have corona. I'm worried about the GM who might have corona. I'm worried about anyone who might be around these athletes who might have corona. And are you going to share that information as well to let folks know that there's a potential that some members of the team could have corona? Because up until this point, they've been real tight-lipped on that information as well. I, I Really, the only... It's, it's few and far between us hearing about non-players who have COVID, right? So we think about the head coach for the New Orleans Saints, Sean Payton, like that was out there, but that's few and far between. They're not really sharing that information either. I guess James well, uh, Dolan, they share that as well, the owner for the Knicks. Right, because he's fun to make fun of. But the truth is that those are typically also, if you're looking at like demographics, pre -con pre-existing conditions aside, those tend to be the people that are in the bracket of more likely chance of having severe effects from this. Like they talked about, do we even send... Mike D'Antoni, Alvin Gentry, or Greg Popovich to the NBA bubble, right? Because they're all over the age of 65. All three very quickly like, look, if our teams are playing, we're going. I really look at that and wonder, like, wow, it's like you're saying, we're going to throw these players under the bus, but the moment an assistant on the Spurs staff gets it, 
y'all are gonna tell pop right you're not just gonna say like hey don't you know don't drink after so-and-so like no like you need to let him know he's been around someone potentially just like you would let the players know and i think that i think that it's it's like you're saying there's not a right answer or wrong answer to it but it it certainly it, it looks like it's gonna happen it's it's a scary slippery slope that it doesn't seem like anyone's addressing because they're not giving us any information except letting us know when all the players have COVID. So this is what, this is why I come back to a C, I guess. Yeah, I thought I was going to flip-flop in the middle of this. No, C's probably right. C's probably right. And for our final segment, Mr. Ainsworth, we're going to take our sports SATs once again. we got a few multiple choice questions that are based around the Twitter trend where you look at an athlete and you decide if they are overrated, underrated, or properly rated. So our multiple choice questions are going to be A, B, or C. A for overrated, B for underrated, C for properly rated. The first athlete that we're going to start talking about, Mr. Ainsworth, let's go to college. Let's go to Trevor Lawrence. And then let's go to DraftWire, which is USA Today's NFL Draft vehicle. They have Trevor Lawrence rated as the top prospect in the 2021 NFL Draft. So I say that to you, Mr. Ainsworth. Is Trevor Lawrence A, overrated, B, underrated, or C, properly rated? I'm going to go C, properly rated, I think. What about yourself? Yeah, I've got him as overrated. But I'm curious. So why do you think that he's properly rated? Oh, I mean, I think that... So you're talking about the mock draft and looking at him as like a top overall pick. I think uh, the truth is he's been a consensus top, if not top two or three, number one. Like, if he's not the number one pick, a top two or three overall pick the last couple years, if he were allowed to come out anyway, I I don't see why if you're not if you're making a mock draft for the 2021 draft, why you wouldn't have him in the top couple. He's a starting quarterback. He's lost all of what one game in college. Like he's he's <laughs> tremendous, right? Uh, he's he the is face. Of, he's the face of the Clemson program the last two years. We've also seen that their quarterbacks transfer to the NFL. When you look at the way Deshaun Watson has played. He probably plays a more pro style of ball than Deshaun Watson played in college. Uh, not that he can't run. I don't mean like that, obviously. Deshaun Watson can throw and Trevor Lawrence can run. They're both very talented. But I, I think that there's lots of reasons that I would have no qualms at this point projecting him as number one overall pick. And if that's where he's rated, I think that's about right. Well, there's a difference between projecting him as being the number one overall pick in my mind and whether or not he's actually properly rated. So I'm going to go A, overrated, and I'm saying that because it doesn't have anything to do with Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence is a great player. He's going to go number one in the draft. I get that. The best player in college football next year is Panay Sewell, who's playing offensive tackle in Oregon. And if he's the best player, the best player should go number one. But what happens is we place an incredible value on quarterbacks, and because of the value that we place on quarterbacks, they ascend in the draft. And so now DraftWire has Panay Sewell actually going third. They have Lawrence going one. They have Justin Fields going two. And I guess I look at Trevor Lawrence, and I I want to give him as much credit as anything because I do think that he's a great player. He won that national championship as a freshman beating Alabama. I don't see him getting a ton of criticism for the way that he played in the national championship game where LSU got him. And he had seven players, I think, from Clemson who ended up getting drafted. I get that LSU had like 14 players, I believe, who went in the draft. So LSU was obviously incredibly talented. I just feel like Trevor Lawrence, we don't critique him and look at his game and say, okay, there's here's some of the things that maybe he could do better. I feel like uh, he gets a pass on some of these things, and he has some accuracy things in his game that might be 
worth considering. And again, Panay Isul, offensive tackle. Whoever drafts him is going to plug him at left tackle. He's going to be your left tackle for the next 15 years. Uh, like quarterbacks are hit or miss. I feel like that's playing it really safe. I mean, you know, strong tackle play in college translates to strong tackle play in the pros at a much higher rate. So I get what you're saying there. I just, I, I feel like we've danced around, if not said exactly, that Trevor Lawrence is going to be the number one pick whenever he comes out. He, he's got these, in, he's got some intangibles as far as leadership and stuff goes, but I don't mean to go like, oh, every quarterback's got leadership, da, da, da. But I mean, like, he, <laughs> he tends to have led a, a team to two different national championship games in two years in college. He lost one, and that's fair. He also, though, you talk about, you know, had a drop-off here, this, that, and the other. He lost however many players last year, the pros. He lost a lot of his defensive players from the championship team the year before to the pros and took them right back to the championship game the next year. Like I, he's a pretty strong quarterback. I don't, I don't know why he, no, 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 the, no. I'm not saying he's bad. I'm just saying that if we're saying that he's the top prospect, he's not Panay Sewell is. So that makes him therefore by definition overrated. <laughs> let's talk. <laughs> let's talk Mike Trout. Let's talk baseball. Baseball is going to be coming back. So after all the, uh, podcast that we did kind of doggy baseball because they were going to argue about money. They still are kind of arguing about money, but at least they're coming back. So there's an article published on MLB.com. And the article said, could Mike Trout be the best major league baseball player ever? So let's talk about that. Is Mike Trout the best baseball player ever? If you say that he's the best baseball player ever, then I guess he's properly rated. But what do you think? Overrated, underrated, properly rated Mike Trout. Well, if the bar is, is he the best baseball player ever, I'd call that overrated. Uh, what do you think, Mr. <laughs> okay, overrated, because I don't think he's the best baseball player ever. And, and I think that Mike Trout, he is the modern analytics monster, right? So we look at things like war, and people didn't even know what wins above replacement was until we looked at Mike Trout, we tried to give him an MVP over a guy who won a triple crown, right? With Mike Trout, here's where I come down, right? He's a great player. He's been in the league nine seasons. He's been an all-star eight times. He's won the MVP three times. He's obviously incredible. He has the second highest wins above replacement of any active player. Only Albert Pujols has a higher one. But if you look at this, his wins above replacement number in terms of historically, according to BaseballReference.com, he's 86th in war. He's behind Jim Tomey and ahead of Larry Walker. So this analytics monster... Like, historically, he's actually not that. And then he's been in the league nine years. He's been in the playoffs once. So, so that's where I said, that's where I settled too, is even though his numbers and baseball is as, team game, as much of a team game as it gets, right? Because while you can get hot and this, that, and the other, he can have a great day hitting the baseball, but if they can't pitch, they can lose 12 to 10, right? So it doesn't, doesn't really matter. I, I think my thing on him is that maybe it's because I don't really care they took steroids. I think of Barry Bonds the best <laughs> baseball player ever, and... Barry Bonds obviously had a much different first half of his career than did second half of his career, but there was stuff in the in the field and running and stealing bases and stuff like that um, that Barry Bonds did as a young player that Trout is missing now because he's already you know said nine years in the league. I'm, I'm talking about Barry's first nine years. He also doesn't have the like hitting accolades I think that his analytics would imply. He he could win a few more batting titles to get on the greatest of all time list. Um, he obviously could you know. A big play in the in the playoffs or in the World Series would help a lot, whether it was at the plate or out in the outfield. Um, I will say that 
I don't want to imply he's not a good baseball player, and I'm not even sure because I didn't look at it this way for this this question. He might be the best baseball player in baseball right now. I'm obviously biased in my man Jose Altuve. Um, I, I, I can sit here and argue that if you want to for a long time. But if we're going to talk about if he is or isn't the best player right now, that's certainly not a good argument to start with for is he the best player ever, right? Like that's not a, that just no, I, follow but here's what sense. I would say, and I think that we could both agree on this, that Mike Trout is the best baseball player who's not using buzzers. Um, so the next question, <laughs> let's, uh, let's move on to Coach Cal. So this one is near and dear to my heart. So now you can dig me back for that Altuve crack. Um, <laughs> Coach Cal, uh, there's an article on a website called thetilt.com. And the article asked the question, is John Calipari the most overrated college basketball coach? Now I ask you, Mr. Ainsworth, do you think that John Calipari is overrated, underrated, or properly rated? Oh, what's funny is I was really looking for a chance to take a jab and say, open the letter or whatever about the Yankees and da-da-da. But the truth is, when it comes to Calipari, <laughs> is we're going to probably sit in a very similar spot. Because I think, if anything, he's a little underrated. How about yourself? Uh, John Calipari is definitely underrated in my mind, but I also know that I have big blue goggles and I am totally biased. Well, so what's your big blue goggle take on it? And I'll tell you where you can fill in the gaps there. My, my big blue goggle take is that people in Big Blue Nation will point to the fact that John Calipari's only won one national championship, the fact that players don't stay for any real meaningful period of time for the most part. And all I point back to is, do you guys remember what it was like before Calipari got here? Like, we were losing games to Gardner-Webb and VMI. We were making the NIT tournament. So, like, John Calipari, in his 11 seasons, and keep in mind that this past season, we don't know exactly how that would have ended because, thank you, Corona. But in his 11 <laughs> seasons, he's won four dual SEC championships. That means that he won the regular season as well as the tournament. You could throw on top of that two more SEC tournament titles. Then you could throw on top of that four Final Four appearances, seven Elite Eight appearances, eight Switch 16 appearances, two title game appearances, and a national championship. And before that, we were losing games to Gardner-Webb. So the man is as <laughs> underrated as possible. He's got the most players in the NBA. There's 28 Kentucky guys in the NBA. What are we even talking about, well, man? And so my big thing I like at Calipari is obviously I think he's an underrated coach as well. And I think that the interesting thing when I look at Calipari is I don't think what he does is easy. Everyone writes off this idea of bringing in pros and having them all for one year is clearly the easiest way to do it in college basketball because you win a bunch of games because you got the best players and da 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 But we also know in basketball, those players bring things like ego and there really is just one basketball. And the job of the coach is to work around that and to get them to all play together, even when you have seven or eight pros on the team at a time. I mean, that's that's unheard of, right? We talk about like Popovich is a great pros coach, but he's doing that with the pros. He's got guys that are all going to the Hall of Fame on those you know, Spurs teams that won five titles in 15 years, whatever that was, right? Steve Kerr is this great coach. What a great da da da. He's doing the same thing. He's balancing the ball between Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. Eric Spolster is a great coach. He's balancing the ball between LeBron and Wade and Bosch. And I think that that's a part of being a great coach is doing just that. And so I don't know why he doesn't get the same accolade as a college coach. I also will point out that people are like, well, all he does is pull in pros for one year. Uh, guess what a big part of college coaching is? 
recruiting the best players. And come guess on. what he's doing? <laughs> like that's that's exactly what he's doing. He's getting the McDonald's All Americans to come to Kentucky. He got them to go to Memphis. He got them to go to UMass. He can do it wherever he is. And I don't care if he's going to come back and go, oh, Ainsworth, he's doing it dirty or whatever, whatever. I don't care if he's doing it dirty because guess what? We're about to find out in a legal setting in about a month that even Duke's dirty. They're all dirty. It's say, about say, to happen. They're all, they're all, Creighton was paying over $100,000 a kid. Creighton University. They're all dirty. <laughs> Let me say this. There's actually no evidence that John Calipari is dirty, by the way. It, it, he's had Final Fours vacated. He had a Final Four vacated because Marcus Camby took money, and not from him, from an agent. He has a he has another right. Final Four vacated because Derrick Rose cheated on his SAT to go to Memphis. Like, Calipari well, is not linked to that stuff. He was the coach of the team. But if Rick Pitino he, can be, like, D-linked to hookers in dorms, then Calipari can not be oh, linked to this stuff. That was the most Kentucky Louisville thing for you to do just now. I will say I don't mean to say that he's been linked <laughs> to any of the dirtiness. He just it's typically a, a criticism of him. Absolutely. Let's let's go on to because I could talk Calipari all day. Let's go on to um, let's talk Russell Westbrook. So we had my guy right uh, in John Calipari. <laughs> let's go to your guy Russell Westbrook. So there was a list of the uh, top players in the NBA that was put together, and the title is who are the top GOAT candidates among active NBA players. So it's not just looking at players and how well they're doing now, but it's also looking at their potential to be the greatest of all time. Hoopshype.com put together this list. It ranked Russell Westbrook as the 11th most GOAT potential player currently in the NBA. So now if I say that Westbrook is at 11. You know, there's guys like LeBron and James Harden, right? They're ahead of him. A couple of guys who are ahead of him, though, Luka Doncic, uh, Zion Williamson, those guys haven't played as much as Russell. Is that overrating him? Is that underrating him? Or is that properly rating him? So based on what this list is supposed to be, I actually think it's fairly properly rated. Because it's not necessarily saying that he is better or worse than the guys in front of them. The crux of this argument is looking at who in the NBA currently is most likely to retire and we call him the GOAT, right? Um, who, who's going to be called more likely called the greatest of all time? Like Dwight Howard is 14th, right? I mean, this is not a list of necessarily like guys that you think of as the greatest of all time currently. But like if Russell Westbrook reeled off three titles here right fast, you might call him the GOAT, right? Like he's only 31. <laughs> and so like that's, I think, the potential there. It's inherently going to skew young. Like Giannis is number two because he's still like 26, right? And so like theoretically, he's got another 10 years till he's LeBron's current age. There's a lot of basketball he could play and win and do great things, right? Steph Curry's already got his three rings. He's sitting at number four. Kawhi's got his rings. He's sitting at number, was that, five? The, this list goes on and on. Like James Harden's six. And the deal with James Harden is he's basically just shy rings. He's got every other stat you would you want to throw in. He's just shy rings of being in this conversation. And Luka Doncic, seven. Well, Luka Doncic is also like 21 years old. Like, yes, he's got another 15 years of basketball, potentially. He could win some titles and do some things, right? So I think on the crux of what this list is trying to do, he's properly rated. You said two things in there that are stunning to me. Number one, 
you said that Giannis is only 26 and I'm like oh my gosh he is so young and then the other thing that you said <laughs> the other thing you said in there is Russell Westbrook could just reel off three rings and all of a sudden he moves up this list if if the Houston Rockets won three championships in a row with Russell Westbrook you might have a heart attack like that might be the thing that takes out Parker Ainsworth <laughs> um I actually think that based on what this list is trying to do I think Russell Westbrook is actually underrated. And my piece is this. They have several guys ahead of Russell Westbrook who don't have a championship and don't have an MVP. Now, we can say whatever we want to about Russell Westbrook. He's let, He's been on a team that's been in the finals. Kevin Durant really led the team, but he was on it for sure, and he was an, an integral part. And he has that MVP. He has three seasons where he's averaged a triple-double. That was something that hadn't happened in what, 50 years or something ridiculous when Oscar Robertson did it? And so, in my mind, I understand that you want to look at the potential of a Luka Doncic or the potential of a Zion Williamson. I don't think that you can put them ahead of Russell based on what Russell has done. The other guy who's on here that I'm like, it's interesting that he's ahead of Russell is uh, Chris Paul. And I like Chris Paul. I think that Chris Paul is a solid point guard. But what has Chris Paul done over Russell individually or as the leader of a team, right? He had the Lob City teams. They, I, I, I'm pretty sure Oklahoma City actually got one of them one year. So, like, uh, he's he's never beaten Russell, and Russell has that MVP. Um, the other guy well, that's and, on here is Anthony Davis, who, don't get right. me wrong, I think he could be great. But, again, no MVP, no finals appearance. Maybe he gets the finals appearance this year. So, I don't know. I think Russell's probably a little think- underrated. I think Davis's deal is back to people don't think of the fact that he's younger than you realize when you factor in he was a young college freshman and that was not that long ago. So help me God, um, if you say he's 19 years old or something, <laughs> well, I know that no, he's but young. Chris, I think it's worth pointing out Chris Paul is the only player older than Westbrook without a ring ahead of him. Harden's a year younger, and there's other players younger with no rings, but Chris Paul is the only player older than Westbrook without a ring or an MVP ahead of him on this list. And so he's probably the questionable spot. Um, but you're asking me if, if Russell Westbrook was overrated, underrated, properly rated. So that's why I was, I was focusing more on his spot. Friends, that is another episode of FN Sports. Uh, Parker did not laugh at my Mike Trout, Jose Altuve joke. He has no sense of humor. Why do you take yourself so seriously? Why so serious? <laughs> Give me your socials, Parker. Go ahead. Uh, you can find me and make more Jose Altuve jokes at my expense at <laughs> P. Ainsworth 512. It's Painsworth, P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H, 512, all one word, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, find me and talk to me about Jose Altuve or Russell Westbrook or whatever you'd like. Um, you can also find me on the fn sports twitter page i dash with pa shaka will dash with cc that's at fn sports the number two f-i-n-s-p-o-r-t-s number two all one word uh on twitter the podcast also has an instagram at f underscore n underscore sports if you're looking for me in particular you can find me at shaka cummings at c-h-a-k-a-c-u-m-m-i-n-g-s that is twitter that is Instagram. That's even Facebook, but Facebook is kind of weird. Don't don't talk to me there. Um, <laughs> thank you guys for listening. Remember to like, subscribe, share, and hey, remember to rate this podcast as well. You can rate and review this episode on the new Hubble podcast app. It's the first listening app that allows you to rate and review podcast episodes. That's Hubble, H-U-B-L. 
you know you're on the right app if you see the logo with the telescope that has the red background. You can look for it on the App Store. You can look for it on the Google Play Store. And give them a follow on social media at H-U-B-L Podcast App. That's at H-U-B-L Podcast App. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. And please remember, when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later, guys. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a world. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.